Welcome to another episode of Yesterday's Capers. I'm Abdullah Molim and every week I'll be bringing you the very best shows from the past that the world has to offer. Happy Black History Month! Yes, it's that time again and for the next month we'll be looking back on some great black TV shows and cartoons. And we're off to a flyer as we talk City Guys and Method and Red. And yes, it is a show starring Method Man and Red Man. And we take a special look at Sanford and Son. I bet you've already got the theme song in your head. You're welcome. So, let's get started. And joining me as ever, it's producer Paul. Hey man, how's it going? I'm alright, thanks. How are you? Yeah, stellar start to the uh, Black History Month. I'm looking forward to this week. I I am too. I am... I mean, I, I genuinely enjoyed all three shows. I think you've pretty much cleared this up, but Method Man and Red Man are real hip-hop artists, right? Yes. And for Black History Month, I want you to at least try and get some credentials, all right? Please tell me you know who Wu-Tang Clan are. Yeah, I do, yeah. Of course, yeah. They're one of the... One of the people that I do know. But the thing is, because Method Man and Red Man, I was like, oh, you need to know about this. So because if you notice, they didn't say their names throughout the yeah. maybe three quarters of the first episode. And I was a bit like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Only Method Man was in Wu-Tang, though. Method yeah. Man and Red Man are just a duo on their own. Yeah, I mean, I didn't know who was in Wu-Tang Clan. Like, we'll, we'll probably talk about that a little bit later when we talk about Meth and Red. So, uh, but no, it is Happy Black History Month for America. Obviously, people in the UK are thinking, well, we really had Black History Month in October. But obviously, if you're a new listener, you're wondering why the hell we're talking about Black History Month. It is Black History Month in America. Because we have quite a, a few listeners, to say the least, in America. We thought we'd uh, give them uh, a Black History Month as well as one for the UK. So uh, there you are. Deal with it. And uh, yeah, I think we should uh, kick this off. And we're going to start with Sanford and Son. Yes, we are going all the way back to January 1972. And some of the things happening in the world. Six men robbed the safe deposit boxes of the Pierre Hotel in New York City of at least $4 million dollars. And it's the most successful robbery from a hotel in history. I don't really know why they have to shout about this. Uh, by successful robbery, I'm assuming they didn't get caught then. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, but then how would they know if it was six men exactly? The way I see it, they're just thieving gits. Unless yeah. they were doing it for an honourable reason. Four million quid in your pocket. That's pretty honourable. If you say so. Sheikh Mujibur Rahman declares a new constitutional government in Bangladesh with himself as president. Queen Margaret II of Denmark succeeds her father, King Frederick Fourteenth. I'm guessing, if I know my Roman numerals, or 15. On the throne of Denmark, the first queen of Denmark since 1412 and the first Danish monarch not named Frederick or Christian since 1513. Across 110th Street was in the cinemas. And Let's Stay Together by Al Green was in the charts in 1972. Right, Sanford and Sons. So this was an American sitcom TV series based on the BBC television programme 
Steptoe and Son. It's known for its edgy racial humor, running gags and catchphrases. The series was adapted by Norman Lear and considered NBC's answer to CBS's All in the Family. Sanford and Son has been hailed as the precursor to many other African-American sitcoms. It was a ratings hit throughout its six-season run, finishing in the Nielsen's top 10 for five of those seasons. While the role of Fred G. Sanford was known for his bigotry and cantankerousness, the role of Lamont Sanford was that of Fred's long-suffering, conscientious, conscientious peacemaker son. At times, both characters involved themselves in schemes, usually as a means of earning cash quickly to pay off their various debts. Other colourful and conventional characters on the show included Aunt Esther, Grady, Bubba and Rallo. Sanford and Son stars Red Fox as Fred G. Sanford. Obviously, he's a, a big time. He was a big time actor in the sort of 60s, 70s and maybe the 80s. And he's a widower and junk dealer living at 9114 South Central Avenue in the Watts neighborhood of Los Angeles, California. And Desmond Wilson plays his son, Lamont Sanford. And in his youth, Fred moved from South Central to Los Angeles from his hometown of St. Louis. And yeah, after the show premiere in 1972, ads touted Red Fox to be the answer to Archie Bunker, who was the bigoted white protagonist in All in the Family. Both shows were adapted by Norman Lear from BBC programs, Sanford and Son, like I said, for um, Stepstone and Son. And All in the Family came from Till Death Do Us Part. An earlier pilot for an American version of Steptoe and Son was produced by Joseph Levine in 1965, starring Lee Tracy and Aldo Ray as Albert and Harold Steptoe. It was on screen and it did not lead to a series. And as the series progressed, it focused more on Fred's antics and schemes, with Lamont often ad adopting the role of the gentler, more open-minded progressive who's the open-minded progressive who attempts to broaden his father's horizons it closely mirrored the relationship between archie and mike on all in the family a notable example of the softening of lamont's character is his change of attitude towards donna harris who was fred's girlfriend earlier in the show's run lamont derides her as the barracuda and is openly hostile towards her attempting to ruin her relationship with his father at least twice. But in a later episode, he invites her to dinner with his own girlfriend, remarking that it would do his reputation good to be seen with two lovely ladies. Similarly, Fred is initially depicted as a man who, though not always ethically or culturally sensitive, has the wisdom of experience and significant street smarts. And as the series progressed, Fred got into increasingly ludicrous situations, such as faking an English accent to get a job as a waiter, convincing a white couple that an earthquake was really the Watts line of the then non of the then of the then non-existent LA subway, a wordplay on the common phrase Watts line. Took me forever to get that out. Taking over a play featuring George Foreman or sneaking into a celebrity private area such as Lena Horne's dressing room or Frank Sinatra's hotel room. Some of these situations revolve around Fred trying to make a quick buck. And the constant throughout the show is the loyalty of father and son to each other. 
even in the show's earliest episodes where one or the other leaves the house seemingly for good, where Lamont moves out at least twice or at one point he even puts Fred in a retirement home. Something always occurs to return the situation to normal. Whether it's Lamont getting homesick or worrying about his father or something does not work out and Lamont schemes his way back in or Lamont feeling lonely without his father around the house thanks to a plan Fred hatched with his friend Bubba. And yeah, Sanford and Son was enormously popular during most of its run and it was one of the highest rated series on American television. With its coveted 8pm Eastern Friday night slot, Sanford and Son put enough of a dent into the middling audience of The Brady Bunch to drive it off the air in 1974 and it peaked at number two in the Nielsen ratings during the 1972-73 season and the 1974-75 season. And Sanford and Sons leading helped the entire NBC Friday night lineup place in the coveted bracket of the top 15 shows. So Chico and the Man following Sanford ranked number three for the season, while the police dramas The Rockford Files and Police Woman aired later in the evening and ranked at number 12 and 15 respectively. The show's ratings dipped substantially during its final season, though it was still quite popular at the time of its cancellation. In 2007, Time magazine included the show on its list of 100 best TV shows of all time. The theme song, titled The Street Beater, it was composed by Quincy Jones through A&M Records and released on record in 1973. Although the song did not reach Billboard status, it has maintained mainstream popularity and is featured on Jones' Greatest Hits album. And the song has also been featured on series such as The Simpsons and Scrubs. Yep, definitely know the Scrubs one. is how I just remember. And then you've got, I think, Turk singing along to the theme song as well, like with his own um, words as well. It's just great. I think that Scrubs is probably what put Sanford and Son on the map for me, maybe. Um, I was definitely kind of aware of this, but yeah, like the yeah, theme that tune. and the theme song. And funny enough, I was watching a Simpson episode where they had the theme song played. It was the um, episode where Homer wants to run for sanitation commissioner. Oh, yeah. Is and obviously, his... he, he does a really bad job. And they're like, you know what? Let's kick Homer out and let's get the old guy back in. And he, as he's walking like on, they're playing the... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, thank you so much, guys. I just want to say it's good to feel vindicated. And you can shove your job right up your ass. I'm out of here. <laughs> Peace. And he just walks off and they're going, do, 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 do. Yeah, that, that was that was that. And after the series was cancelled in 1977, a short-lived continuation featured the supporting characters titled Sanford Arms. Whitman Mayo starred in a short-lived spin-off series, Grady, during the 1975-76 season. In 1980-1981, Red Fox attempted to revive the show with another short-lived series titled Sanford, but Desmond Wilson refused to reprise his role as Lamont Sanford for the show's series. The characters... So yeah, like I said, Red Fox, he plays Fred Sanford. 
and he's a sarcastic, streetwise, irascible schemer whose frequent get-rich, quick ideas routinely backfired. And he often insults his son, calling him dummy. And Lamont will return the favor by calling Fred an old fool. Desmond Wilson plays Lamont Sanford. And he's depicted at times as the greedier of the two. And there are moments where Lamont is naive and foolish. And his street-savvy father immediately recognizes that they are basically in trouble. And he will always get him out. Esther Anderson, who is uh, Lawanda Page, or she's known as Aunt Esther, and she's the Bible-toting sister of Fred's late wife, Elizabeth. And she's staunchly, staunchly religious, rather humorless individual, but she's very kind and loving towards her nephew, Lamont, but she doesn't get on with Fred. And there's always like, and she has this uh, exaggerated grimace, followed by coloured and uh, insults and comparisons to various animals. Uh, Esther, I can stick your face in some dough and uh, make gorilla cookies. <laughs> Grady Wilson is uh, Fred's good-natured, simple-minded best friend who appears regularly on the show. His catchphrase is good googly goo, and he utters this when something good happens or he is in a pleasant mood. Bubba. And he's uh, another of Fred's friends who appears frequently alternating with Grady as Fred's best friend. Rallo is uh, Nathaniel Taylor and he's Lamont's best friend. And Fred will often make disrespectful remarks towards Rallo, usually stating that he thinks Rallo is a criminal as Rallo had spent time in jail. I love how he's like, oh, this is uh, Rallo and this is uh, my son. Follow, because he's always following wherever he goes. <laughs> uh, and Donna, who's played by Lynn Hamilton, is Fred's on-again, off-again girlfriend, who later becomes his fiance. She's employed as a practical nurse, and she's a amiable, even-tempered lady who takes in stride Fred's shenanigans and occasional trysts. And she also appears to be more sophisticated in contrast to Fred's rather blunt and boorish personality. So. Let's talk about this show. I have to say it's one of the, one of the, one of the, the biggest shows I knew about that I knew the theme tune and what it was about and everything about it, but I hadn't watched it. So someone say Sam, Samford and Son to me. I'll do the theme tune. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, great, great, great. But I hadn't actually seen, like, two minutes of it, really. I watched a lot of Steptoe and Son when I was younger, so I knew what it was about, and I knew that it was based on kind of Steptoe and Son as he kind of, you know, what we brand as the American version of Steptoe and Son. Um, but, yeah, I hadn't seen it before, really. Um so uh, this was like a an experience, and unfortunately, I didn't have too much time to to watch a load of episodes today. So I would have liked to probably have watched more. One thing I don't like is how like, and this is the same as Step Twins as well. They're always kind of losing, and it and it's it's kind of like, oh man, I wish I'd catch a break at some point, you know. But maybe that's, that's the point. Real of it. life, you don't catch a break in life. Yeah, but you know, sometimes you know, sometimes you just want it to go. Cause it's a bit like I, I was actually thinking about it, it's a bit like Dick Dastardly. Like at some point, you're wanting to win a wacky race, 
Um, and then, but he never does. He always gets defeated. Well, don't cheat then. Yeah, I know, but you know what I mean. There's one race where he didn't cheat until right at the end. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, but you you you're always kind of rooting for them, right? And then at the end, you know, always kind of like um, goes bad. Yeah, uh, you know, has that kind of that kind of vibe to it. And I guess like you know, it's, it's kind of common theme in sitcoms. Only fools and horses is the same, really. You know, they're kind of like trying every day, don't quite make it. Um, um, and I'm not sure if they did a finale of this, but um, be good to know if they actually did make it in the end. You know, um, yeah, I'm I'm the same. Like I obviously know the theme song, Sanford and Son. I know I've heard of Red Fox, but um, yeah, I, I hadn't seen too much of it. I've not. I don't think I've ever seen Steptoe and Son either. So I was kind of coming into this with um, new eyes, and no, yeah, it, 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 it. I wanted it to be good. I wanted it to be as good as the theme song, and I felt that it was. I, I really liked it. I know what you mean about always wanting to root for them, as we'll probably uh, see in the pilot. And yeah, I, I found myself laughing at all the jokes. I found myself enjoying the. The to and fro between uh, Sanford and Son. Hey, yeah, yeah, I'm Sanford and he's Son. I, I, I did, I did like the uh, the duo. There was a finale and I did watch it, so it did um, it did a uh, round up and round off quite a uh, quite nicely in the end. But no, honestly, I I, I enjoyed it. It was a very very fun show. I have to say though, the Americans do it so different to us. Like, you know, when when someone walks on stage, you know, sometimes there's nothing in an English show. Sometimes they get a little clap. In America, like anyone walks in, they're like, "Whoa, yeah!" <laughs> and it goes up, and you can see the actors like, they, they you know, they're, they're waiting for because obviously they need to be heard, right? So you can see them kind of waiting for the applause to subside, you know, and they're just kind of like just looking around you know like you know doing kind of some acting um i guess and, they're used to it aren't they no exactly and but I, I quite like that you know the americans are so like you know like rooting for their people you know like oh yeah there, there he is Woo! um but if everyone that walked in a scene as well i mean i would hate to be the guy that walks in and doesn't get one you know well you gotta be a big star ain't you I, I i don't think like rollo and aunt esther were getting like big old cheers were they they were taught in one of the episodes I watched. In um, I watched an episode called "The Winning Ticket," which was a fantastic episode, I have to say. Um, but yeah, uh, it was. I have to say, this is like, I would recommend people to watch this and say, like, this is probably a must-watch for, um, kind mm. of like, historic black TV shows. Absolutely. And, his, and historic TV shows in general, to be honest, like. Septo and Son moved it to Sanford and Son. Everyone knows the theme tune, so you should probably watch at least one or two episodes, right? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, this is a trailblazing show. Like this is kind of it set the tone for the seventies and it kind of led to a lot more um black sitcoms and black sort of TV shows. Obviously the Jeffersons that we've talked about, Good Times, What's Happening and and, and all of those other shows that we've um talked about. Or we're going to talk about pretty soon for for Black History Month anyway. So um, without further ado, let's yeah, let's let's go into episodes. Um, so in true producer Paul fashion, I watched episode. Oh no, actually no, I didn't. I watched episode one and then episode like five, episode 
Series 5, Episode 6. So, uh, first note I wrote was obviously banging theme tune. It's so good. And and I, I really like the... Um, I've got the wrong notes up. Hang on. So, I'm trying to read off my email. And I've got a more zoomed-in version. So, sorry. Um, so... I I like the quite you know quite simple gags and this is full of them right and I I think that they work and they're funny so like the first opening scene right I'm not sure if this was a pilot I'm guessing series one episode one was a pilot so like opening scene right this you see basically like Fred Sanford like playing the piano right I just called him dad in it by the way because it's like dad and son right so um he, you see him playing the piano and then like kind of the camera kind of comes around and you see that the piano is actually playing itself <laughs> and he's just dusting it. Um, yeah. So basically like the, obviously the, the idea is like they run a salvage yard and they have like a truck where they do the old kind of rag and bone thing. I'm not sure if that, if it's still called the same thing in America, but you know, they used to drive around in a truck and collect people's old junk and then take it back and sell it or scrap it or whatever they do with it. So, so Lamont is like kind of the man in the van kind of thing going around collecting all the stuff. And his dad kind of like comes out to meet him and he's got some stuff in the back and he says, right, some like empty bottles in the, um, sorry, not empty bottles, but there's bottles in the back. You get those and don't touch what's in the front seat. Dad goes straight to the front seat. <laughs> and Lamont's like, don't touch that, don't touch that. And he's like being really precious about this, like, um, like this package. And it turns out that it's, um, honest. so basically you get the kind of idea here. So Lamont doesn't want to be part of the family business. He wants to be, um on his own doing other things and not you know not not dealing in junk and there's no money and they're poor and stuff like that and i think every generation has this when they get kids and you know when their kids get kids and you get this thing where like um so lamont says he don't want to be poor and then like <laughs> and then and then fred's kind of talk about you don't know what poor is and then goes on we had like uh, like 12 of us living in a room and we're all in the same bed and they're all in the same clothes and stuff like that and he's like kind of like making like real poor stories you know like you don't know you were born kind of thing anyway in Lamont's secret box is a statuette oh so, so Lamont gives him a bit of sass he gives him he's kind of like saying um oh you can't touch this or whatever and he goes you never too old to get get one across the lips <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that was quite funny he just said like you know baby I'm gonna smack you in the mouth kind of thing so and then he's talking about how he came by this uh, statuette. So he's saying that I found a, an old lady. I like how he's trying to look at it with these glasses and he has to open the drawer and get all the glasses out. <laughs> he's like, can you see that? No. Can you see that? Yeah, he's just trying to like hundreds of different glasses. Trying and the magnifying the glass. Yeah, from right. a 90-year-old white woman. Oh, yeah. I'm coming to that. So he's talking about how he came to the statuette. So this old lady's going for a bin. Turns out that she has this statuette, but she needs some money. And then she's like, she's been described that she's 90 year old in kind of negligee kind of stuff. And it's kind of like torn as well. And then he says, oh, <laughs> he goes, oh, she was 90 years old. And then he's straight, straight off the bat without skipping a beat. Goes, there ain't nothing uglier than a 90 year old white woman. <laughs> I actually wrote down the quote. Is that, oh, ain't nothing on earth uglier than a 90 year old white woman. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think it was one of those. And he spat my tea out when he said that. Yeah, um, it, was, it was great. Initially sells it for ten bucks, and then Lamont feels bad, and he's like, "I'll pay 15 And obviously, he's like, "What are you playing at, you mug?" She's literally saying, "You know, ten bucks," and he's like, "Oh, because you felt bad, and obviously, because it's porcelain, it's going to be worth a lot of money." So they basically go to this um thing, and one thing about this show is, it, and and I think. 
it's a shame, but it happens in all like kind of black TV shows where they've got to put comedy to, um, you know, you know the whole phrase, uh, many many a true word spoken in jest. So they make a joke out of it, but this is like legit happens and it's quite a sad thing. So basically, they walk in into the shop uh, of this like kind of well-to-do area, and there's this white chap Beverly in there. Hills. Yeah, and and he said, um, "Oh, delivery's in the back." straight away like you know you're not supposed to be here like you people aren't supposed to be here so straight away like he <laughs> just goes in on this guy um and i can't i don't write down exactly what he said but he basically basically says oh, i'm gonna smack you across the lips kind of thing <laughs> um and then he says, I've, I've got some identification, brings out all these like ID cards, like credit cards and things like this. He says, like, this is who I am. This is blah, blah. Um, anyway, so they managed to get the guy to see this statuette. And he says, look, it's worth about 700. I'll give you $750 for it. And then he says, and they're kind of um and anaring because obviously like they didn't expect it to even be that much. And they said, he goes, okay, then I'll go to $850. And then Lamont kind of gets a bit greedy. And he's like, I think it's probably worth a bit more than that if he's saying he'll give me this it's probably worth double triple that so he said he decides that he'll go to auction and um fred's like i'll sell it i'll sell it and he's like no shut up shut up you know we're not gonna sell it to you and um i take it to auction and um and it's kind of like stumbles on around six hundred dollars or something like that and and lamont is like bidding it up he's kind of giving it the whole like you know finger up kind of thing but really like subtle touchy nose kind of thing to bid it up and he manages to bid it up to like fifteen hundred dollars but he tells his dad what he's doing and said you know work the other side of the room and and basically uh this white guy manages to like bid for fifteen hundred dollars for this statuette and then you hear two thousand dollars two thousand thank you sir two thousand dollars and it cuts to like um fred sanford and he's got like two fingers up <laughs> and he's um so he's bid like two thousand on it they end up winning it at two thousand dollars so they've just paid for their own statuette and obviously they don't have to pay themselves two thousand dollars but what they do have to pay is the commission on that so they've lost two hundred dollars just for being at the auction and then dad's giving it the old stop story like i won't be around much longer i'm gonna go and join your mother um in this and that and the other uh, they have a kind of a row about it and and dad accidentally breaks the figurine and then Lamont says, right, that's it, I'm leaving. Tries to start the truck, truck's not starting. Um, in in the morning, um, so the truck doesn't start, so he stays. And and in the morning, his dad's left a suicide note on the um, uh, on the door. And he and he quickly ringing the police and he's like, um, oh, my dad's not gonna do something stupid. Um, and he's gonna, he's, he's gonna kill himself. And then out, out of the cupboard comes um, Fred Sanford. He's like, okay, if you feel like that, I won't do it. And he just like slowly puts the phone down. <laughs> um, yeah, and that's the end of the first episode. So this was like straight out of the bat, brilliant show, to be honest. I did watch an episode from season three. So uh, this one's called The Members of the Wedding. And so, yeah, Fred, Fred and Donna. So this is, yeah, Donna is like his um, kind of girlfriend sort of thing. And they're coming back from a date. And Donna wants to talk to Fred about the potential of getting married because obviously I like, look we've been together this long maybe we should think about getting married and she's like oh I've, I've got a, another proposal and obviously Fred's like kind of laughing off going oh who who she goes oh this um other bloke Bob down the road or whatever and obviously he's like oh him he's like oh he looks like he's already gonna die and he's like oh what are you gonna do marry him in the morning bury him in the evening and then he's like you know 
And she goes, no, seriously. She goes, I'm going to seriously consider this proposal from this guy. And he goes, no, 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 no. He goes, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it. And so he goes, oh, Freddie, go steady, is ready. And he goes, let's get married on Sunday and we'll have a cheap wedding. The Reverend will um, come to my house and it'll be fine. And Lamont and Rollo are basically trying to line up dates for the evening. And then Fred just kind of walks in. And he's like, oh, to uh, Lamont, yeah, look, basically, we're going to get married this Sunday. And obviously, Lamont's like, what the hell? Are you sure this is too soon? And I like how uh, the the friend Rollo is like, oh, man, that's out of sight. I'm not quite sure what that means exactly. I think that's like, you know, old school slang. Yeah, that's out of sight. Suki suki, whatever that means. And uh, Lamont, he doesn't look best pleased. And he's basically trying to talk Fred out of it. And Lamont is saying, right, you know what? You're being tricked by Donna with this whole proposal thing. It's the oldest trick in the book. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to do the wedding cheap. It's it's a $10 special. Basically, the reverend just comes on Sunday, reads the vows, and that's it. And he's like to Lamont, you know what? I do not want the family here. They're just going to cause a ruckus and i don't i don't want them here and then yeah lamont has an idea in his head and he's basically calling the whole family together so all the aunties and uncles are coming to the house and lamont is stirring the pot with his family and so the aunties are all like you know what let's have a chat with donna come on donna come to the kitchen and they're all basically going oh so why do you want to marry him who are you and obviously Donna's like, what the hell? Like, get out of my face. Who the hell are you guys? I don't have to talk to you. And everyone's basically squabbling. And Fred's like, you know what? Everyone get out. And then he realizes it was Lamont stirring the pot all along. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to try and call Donna to uh, make amends. And then he's like, you know what? I'm going to, he's like, you know what? I'm going to call you Donna. And then he's the wedding cake. He goes, I'm going to chuck that in Lamont's face. And he's ba- the episode ends with him basically going to Lamont's room with the uh, wedding cake. And the next episode I watched was season five, episode two. Divorce Sanford style. So Aunt Esther bursts in. She's saying, oh, it's over with her husband Woodrow because he drinks too much and he's always looking at other women. And so Lamont's like, you know what? It's not so bad. Let's all go for a walk and uh, we'll uh, we'll figure it out. And then, yeah, and then Woodrow, he comes into the house and he's talking to um, Fred. And he's like, you know what? I think my marriage is over. She's always nagging me too much. I don't, I can't deal with it anymore. And so Fred's like, you know what? Let's, let's, let's see if we can try and get uh, Esther jealous. So he gets his big black book of numbers. And he's basically calling one of uh, one of the girls, Laverne, and basically she's phoning Woody, and Esther and Lamont come back, and yeah, so basically she's like walking in, and he's basically talking, and then he just kind of puts the phone down in a hurry, and then and then it, it's this is just so classic. So there, there, Esther kind of comes, and goes, I'm so sorry, Woody. And he's like, I'm sorry too. And they're like basically walking off, going, Yeah, let's 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 all go home. Let's get out of here. The phone rings. Fred comes in out of nowhere with his big mouth going, Hey, Woody. 
Esther called. She wants to know what time you're picking her up. She's like, S? Oh, Laverne, sorry. She goes, Laverne? And she's like, right, I'm done with you. She's like, you better get out of this house and I'm not leaving. And obviously Fred's like, I want her out of my house. I don't want her to be here. And Fred is basically not talking to Lamont because Lamont agreed to, uh, he's like, you know, I can't put my auntie out. She's going to stay with us. And so he's really annoyed by that. And yeah, Fred and Esther, they're basically squabbling. And then a random police officer comes in. He goes, oh, right. You know, what seems to be the problem? And the officer is basically suggesting to Esther that maybe she should get divorced and live with Fred and Lamont. And so Fred's like, you know, I am not having that. And yeah, Fred's trying to get Esther and Woodrow together for dinner. They basically have dinner. They have a reconciliation. And then Laverne's sister, she, Laverne's sister ends up coming and then she ends up going out with Fred and everyone's all laughing. Ha 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 ha. Classic uh, sitcom uh, gag at the end where Fred's trying to plan something and it kind of backfires. Right, so the winning ticket. Um, I enjoyed this one for many reasons. This was the first time that I get to see the um, other actors because obviously, like I said, I hadn't seen the show before. So I didn't know who Esther was. I didn't know who Bubba was. And so this was kind of learning again who these people are. So Fred is um, doing the sums, you know, in the whole ka-ching thing. And then basically he's like 33 minus 155 or whatever. Basically, um, Lamont comes in and says that we're we're kind of broke. Uh, and then Timmy the sign man knocks on the door and he's kind of these like salesmen, but like from back in the day, hello, I've got this sign for you. Would you like to, you know, really like kind of bouncy guy. And he, <laughs> and basically um, he tells him to, Fred tells him to do one. Um, by the way, Lamont's not in the scene at this point. Um, so, and then he comes in, he does a sales pitch and he basically says that let's do a scam where every item you sell in your shop, you get Every, the, 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 the customers get a ticket and at the end of the month you reveal the, the number under this sign and it will correspond to a ticket and they'll win like $200. And the scam is that no one's going to win the winning ticket. Um, he makes a deal with him and he says, you know what, make it $500 you know, to really get people through the door. And then this is where you see him go out the door and the, the Timmy, the sign man, speaks to his friend and he says, yeah, like he's taken the bait, he's going to do the thing. And what the scam is that they will actually win the money. So they have to get $500 from from their people. So uh, he tells Lamont about this, the, uh, the thing and he's kind of um, not happy about the, the whole kind of uh, premise that, you know, at the end of the month, they have to give him some money. So... Um, Enter Baba, and he he buys something, uh, and then I said, "Lady and Dad talking like they're, they're nasty to each other." So this is obviously Esther and Fred when they're like they're really horrible to each other, but it's quite you know it's quite humorous. Um, so it's kind of the sale now, and um, so um, Esther buys something, so she wants to win like um some money for the church. Um, I think Baba just wants to win some money, uh, and then this guy comes, who's the the scam guy that you saw earlier. And then he's talking about how, oh, I've really wanted this table for ages. And it says $18.11 on it. And then when um, Fred sees it, he's so keen to buy it. He goes, oh, no, the sign's upside down. So he turns it upside down. And so it reads $81.11. So then Fred tells Lamont about the scam. You know, no one's going to win this money. We're just going to get money. And then then Lamont says, I'm ashamed of you now. Uh, So it's the end of the month. And everyone's excited about 
which number it's going to be. And he reads out the number six, seven, six, nine, eight, seven. And a scam man says, um, scam man comes and says, oh, I won the money. And then this is a running theme throughout Sanford and Son where he's like, oh, this is a big one. This is a big one. He holds his heart and he thinks he's having a heart attack. Then Lamont figures out, you know, the scam that actually these guys are kind of in on it. And then they see a clause on the ticket that says, if there's a tie, then a judge can decide between between um, the winners kind of thing. So Esther comes back and what they've what they've decided is that Bubba's going to be the judge. And this is kind of, they're basically trying to turn it around to to set up the uh, thing. And they, they get another ticket printed so that um, uh, Esther has the winning ticket as well. And they set it all up really nicely. So the guy comes in for his money and then uh, Esther comes banging on the door just as he's, you know, he's about to hand the money over. And she goes, I've got the money. I've got the winning ticket as well. So you owe me money. And then Bubba comes down the stairs dressed in like a proper judge gown with a gavel and everything like that. So they read the, the thing I was saying is uh, just going to decide. And then Bubba decides, I'm going to give you $250 to the lady. And then two, and then $250 has to go from come from the printing company who made the mistake in the first place. And then to to get rid of the guy. They're like, oh, don't worry. We can go to the police and tell them that they messed it up. And obviously the scammer guy doesn't want anything to do with the police. So he just runs away. The next day, he's got a new competition. Uh, Fred's got a new competition where you've got to count, guess how many beans are in the jar. And um, and then uh, Bubba comes through the door and he's and he's talking to Lamont. He's like, oh, did you watch the football game last night? Oh, they were like 45 to this and that and the other. And every number that Bubba says, so like, um, uh, Fred's like kind of one, two, three. And then as soon as um, Bubba says 45, he carries on like 46, 47, 48. Um, and he kind of makes him lose count all like, like three or four times. And he ends up just pouring the um, beans down his, uh, as Americans would call it, pants and shirt. Um, and that was the end of that episode. But yeah, like a good episode. Introduces some really cool characters. Um, and yeah, I can totally see why this show was such a success. Cool. Um, the finale. So this was School Days. And yeah, Esther and Donna, they're basically coming to the Sanford house because Lamont is concerned about Fred's behavior because I think they think that he's always going out every night. And basically, Lamont's trying to like corner his dad and he's like, basically, yeah, what's going on? And Fred's like, you know what? I ain't got time to talk. Bubba's going to pick me up in a minute. And Bubba comes and he picks him up and they're off again. And Basically, Donna's like, you know what? I think he's off to meet his fancy woman. I don't think he's, you know, being faithful. And Rollo's like, you know what? I saw Fred at um, City Hall. And they're thinking, you know what? He could be getting a marriage certificate from someone. And so they're basically putting two and two together and coming up with 48. And Fred is basically talking to someone on the phone. And everyone's, like, basically listening. And he's like, you know, oh, thank you so much. I needed to hear this from you. I needed to talk to you. And a white lady basically comes into the house, Doris, and she's basically here to see Fred. And Donna's like, you know what? Why are you here with her? What the hell's going on? And Doris is basically going, I think you should explain, Fred, what's going on. And Fred's like, no, 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 no. I don't want to. I don't want to. And it kind of cuts to a scene where Fred and Bubba are in a classroom and Doris is a teacher. And yeah, so it basically we find out that Fred and Bubba are going to night school because I don't think they got their uh, high school diploma. 
and they basically have to write a uh, US, they have to write an essay on the US system of checks and balances. Fred is basically trying to copy everyone's answers because I don't think he knows. And yeah, they're like, oh, do you even know what checks and balances is? And he goes, oh, do you mean like the bank? Like, no, the United States government or whatever. And he's basically explaining to Lamont that he had to quit school when he was younger because he had to work. So he's he's trying to get his diploma now. And so Lamont, he's like, you know what? Okay, fine. I'll help you get your pass. And yeah, so then, then obviously he's like, you know, look, we'll help you. And he's like, you know what? When the going get tough, the tough get going. So we're going to get through this exam. And Bob was basically having a bet going, you know what? If you don't pass, you owe me 50 bucks and, and all this stuff to uh, Fred. And Bubba gets the uh, most studious award and he gets his high school diploma. And Fred, he's the number one student and class valedictorian. And he's like to uh, Bubba, yeah, you better give me my 50 bucks back, fool. And uh, yeah, it ends with him getting his uh, high school diploma. So that was uh, Sanford and Son. Yeah, I mean, I have to say that this one was one of those shows that, I mean, everyone's got to go out there and watch it, right? I mean, this was one of the shows that everyone could say, you know, oh, I know about it. I know this and know that. And I was one of those people as well. Like, I, mean, I still don't know. I've watched two episodes, but uh, it's got to be, it's got to be watched, I think. It's got to be watched. Um, it's, you know, it it paved the way for so much, so many different programs and, you know, it was fantastic in its own right. Uh, yeah, I think it was a great show. I can't take anything away from it. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I thought this was fantastic. Really, really fun show. Enjoyed myself. You know, I think it even in, from 1972 is coming up to, what, 50 years, I think. It held up tremendously well. So, uh, so yeah, I, that's all I've got to say about that. And, uh, yeah, brilliant, brilliant show. Right, now we're talking about City Guys, and this show came out in September 1997, and some of the things happening in the world. The funeral of Diana, Princess of Wales, takes place at Westminster Abbey, and it's watched by over 2 billion people worldwide. Scotland votes in favour of a devolved parliament forming the Scottish Parliament less than two years later. Wales also do the same thing. The Islamic Salvation Army or the Islamic Salvation Front's armed wing declares a unilateral ceasefire in Algeria. LA Confidential is in the cinemas. And Mo Money, Mo Problems by Notorious B.I.G., Puff Daddy and Mace was number one in the charts. So uh, City Guys. So this was an American sitcom TV series that aired for five seasons. And it was part of the NBC network Saturday morning block, TNBC. The series was very similar in style to Saved by the Bell, but with an urban setting and a more diverse cast. City Guys was mainly centered on its two main characters, Jamar Grant and Chris Anderson, two teenagers from two different backgrounds, Chris coming from a wealthy family and Jamar coming from a working class family who had to stay on the ball while attending Manhattan High School, which was nicknamed Manny High, and they had to avoid trouble with their principal, Karen Noble, as she always attempted to keep them in line and out of trouble. 
Jamal and Chris's similar personalities caused friction between them in the beginning, but they became best friends as the series went on. The boys and their friends. So there was overachiever Dawn Tartikoff, slick guy Alberto Ramos, aspiring actress Cassidy Giuliani, and dim-witted bully-turned-friend who was held back six grades, Lionel L-Train Johnson. And, yeah, it dealt with typical teen issues such as cheating on tests, peer pressure, racism, and dealing with school violence. The theme song for City Guys was written by Joey Schwartz, Eric Swerdloff, and Michael Muta Ali Muhammad, and composed by Joey Schwartz who also composed the incidental music used to denote scene changes and breaks in the program. The rap and R&B-infused theme, including a chorus, C-I-T-Y, you can see why these guys, the neat guys, smart and streetwise, which repeating twice consecutively during the beginning, middle, and near the end of the song. I thought I was going to mess that up. I thought you did pretty well to me. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was going to mess that up, but I didn't. I'm happy with that. And uh, yeah, City Guys. I mean, I let's let's yeah talk about it. I'd never heard of it. Had you heard of it? I had heard of it, and I think I did. Used to watch it on Channel Four. It used to be part of the Channel Four programming in the summer. And I yeah, I remember City Guys, and I remember C I T Y. You can see why. But obviously, I didn't know the the rest of it. But yeah, I I think I remember this. Yeah, I mean, I watched the theme tune once and. Uh, like I've watched two, two, two this uh, this this week, so I skipped the second <laughs> theme tune of it because it it's so long as well. It's like two, three minutes long. It ain't two, three minutes long, man. It's so long. I'm gonna get it. I'm gonna even get it up um, on YouTube because it's it's a long theme tune. But anyway, um, the show in itself, I I didn't I didn't have any like hopes for it if you see what i mean like when when it was like coming on and yeah and i was and in, you know the picture was this like little pixelated hivis jacket and i was a bit like oh, I, i'm not I, i'm not going to be too not too fussed about this show and actually it surprised me to be honest um i thought the show was was quite a cool little take on 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 the high school to be honest i thought one thing i i oh know i i'll mention that in the um the episodes a bit but um yeah, I like I said, I was pleasantly surprised by this by this show. I'm not sure how you felt. Okay, like I said, I I had heard of this show. I had probably even seen it on TV, and yeah, I actually, yeah, I, I I couldn't remember if I liked it or not as a kid. But I watched it now. I really, really liked this show. I really enjoyed City Guys. Really did. I thought it was simple. I did get like Saved by the Bell vibes, but I felt it was more diverse, which I appreciated. And it had less of the uh, zoom in, do the theatre production bit, and then zoom out again. I, yeah. So one character I really liked in the show, and I mean really like, I thought it was an amazing character, was um, the Principal Noble. I thought she was fantastic. Yeah, she was really good. Really, really good Principal. She... You see one where someone uh, called her Wheezy from the Jeffersons? <laughs> 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 I don't, yeah, I don't think I watched that episode, but um, yeah, oh, that is, yeah, that is a good uh, reference, and we can make that point because we know the Jeffersons, and we can laugh at if someone says yeah. wheezy and 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 what have you. So, um, 
No, uh, yeah, I, I, I really, really liked the show. The characters were great. The stories were great. It was a really fun, simple show. Let's yeah, let's let's get right into uh, episodes. I think I think it did really well in getting like a pretty diverse cast in there. Yeah, I thought it was really good. So episode one started off in high school. Now this is what I was going to talk about earlier. So it starts off, and the first thing is like this this girl, and you f- later find out that it's Dawn, and she's episode doing this called the uh, New Kids, by the way. Oh yeah, episode one, New Kids. So basically, this is kind of introducing everybody. And I thought one thing I thought this program did really well was introduced everyone in a really like kind of yesterday's capers. Um, observing it fashion so, <laughs> <laughs> so it was like uh, hi dawn and hi principal noble and you know and it was like really good like okay that's that person where the next show loses some points but anyway the dawn's like doing a save the rainforest bit and then she, and then um i can't remember who comes up to her says oh is there a sign up paper and she goes don't be silly that will kill a tree <laughs> probably thought, al yeah and i thought Fair point. Um, so, I did out, like out, how they all. Sorry, I did like how they all made their own kind of entrance. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like so you, high school, you got to make an impression. It's the first day. Everyone's gonna try and do the most and 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 appear a lot bigger and a lot like important than they actually are. Although probably everyone is just as nervous and scared as 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 as, as the next guy. So it's one of those I, I like that a lot. Yeah, they handled that pretty well. But one thing I, I did note down was like, so this was the same save the rainforest bit, and and I have to remember, like, I to say that when I when I look back at school, I do remember the big drive for save the rainforest, and then everything became plastic, right? Yeah, but now plastic is bad now. You know, plastic is bad, and paper's being used again. So I reckon a couple of years save the rainforest is going to be back. What do you reckon? Um. Yeah, I'll sign me up. You have to choose between the oceans and the uh, and the rainforest. Apparently, you can't. There's no middle ground. Oh, oceans all day long. Save, save the ocean. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> so um, in comes Alberto, and he's a messenger boy. Um, he's so he's he. I think he's like reinvented himself from middle school. He's now Al the messenger boy, and his real name's Alberto something or other. I didn't write Ramos. It down. Ramos, and. Then Jamal comes in. This I really like this part. So Jamal comes in and he's got like this, um, like this huge boom boombox. Is it a stereo? Yeah, boombox. Kind of? yeah, boom yeah, they're coming in and like you know everyone's like, oh my, oh my god, like it's this big kind of entrance. And he's like, oh, I'm Jamal, the new guy. And then he has to pay these other guys that he's borrowed the boombox from and like to make make him look good. So um, I thought that was quite funny. And then this guy comes in in a Ferrari and then. Um, Al's like, oh, nice car. And he's like, oh, you want to take it for a spin? And he gives him the keys. And then the butler, this butler comes and takes the keys off him and says, like, um, I'm going to take this back to your dad before he finds out you stole it. <laughs> and he's going <laughs> to kill me. Um, so it turns out that Chris is just kind of, everyone, like you said, everyone's doing their bit to to show who they are. Um, um, and so it's quite obvious from the from the very beginning that Chris is from a rich family, Jamal's from a poor family, and they're kind of butting heads. And you can kind of see where it's going straight away, where, you know, these guys are so different yet so similar kind of thing. So Chris tries to chat out this model, and then she spits him out because it's like she's he's kind of objectifying her. And then her Chris, Tina. Tina, yeah. Um, I didn't get her last name, though. Tina something or whatever. Um, anyway, so she, yeah, she's like a model for... I've forgotten what she was even a model for, to be honest. But um, she was like in a poster somewhere. Anyway, Jamal and Chris make up a bet at some point in the show, which I didn't write down right away, where whoever dates it gets $20. So 
Jamal are arguing in a corridor, then a teacher comes out and tells them to get to registration or the homeroom. And it turns out that she's the um she's their tutor, but she's also the principal noble and she gets like a hands dirty with like, you know, working with the children so closely. Because obviously normally the principal's in a high and mighty uh position. So Chris and Jamal are in the same forum room um for the whole year. Uh, Chris tries to speak to Tina again. Um Jamal interferes, they have a scuffle and the teacher ends up getting soaked with a water fountain. Um, so that as a punishment, they have to paint this wall. And um, after arguing, they agree, right, you do that half. Uh, Jamal does a left half, Chris does a right half. And on the left half is a tag, like a graffiti tag from like some somebody. And as um, Jamal's going to um, paint over it, the guy, what's his name again? I've forgotten his L-train. name. L-Train. L-Train, yeah. He comes over and he's like, if you paint over that, you know, there's going to be trouble. Chris gets a T. Chris gives Tina a CD that she, of a band that she likes, and and she agrees the possibility of um, a date, and they'll discuss it over lunch. Meanwhile, Jamal's painting the wall, and then Al comes and tells him what's going on, and um, Jamal goes to the pizza place, and it turns out that um, he's got kind of paint all over his shirt, and his dad works at this pizza place, uh, and he says, "Oh, that's the guy that um, that did it to me," and he. And his dad goes and chucks Chris out. And then he says, um, uh, Jamal tells Tina about, oh, he's only going out with you for a bit anyway. So Tina goes to the school and paints a big no on his shirt, saying, I'm not going to go out with you. And as a revenge, Chris paints over the tag. And so um, L-Train says, like, basically, like, you're in for it. Like, let's meet on the roof after school. Uh, so... And also Dawn's having a Save the World group rally on the rooftop after the thing, and a principal's coming to that. And Alberto tells Chris that Jamal will get properly hurt during this fight. This is not some like prep school fight. This is like a real real, like you no know, City Boys fight. L train and uh, Jamal are facing off and then Chris is trying to like get involved and say, like, it's my fault and he's like, Well, I'll beat you both up then. And as L train puts his fist back, the principal kind of catches his fist and says, like, that's it, you're a you're a dead man kind of thing and she's basically sticks up for the boys and she also like kind of disses Lionel's like making him really embarrassed and says like you're you're this you're that you're rubbish and it says like, I'll finish you if you go near these guys again kind of thing uh the principal gives Chris and Jamal a project where they have to work together uh, for a whole year doing the yearbook with a like video yearbook or something until until June in the summer uh, and that was the first episode I watched episode two after that so Chris's mum comes to parents' evening, um, and then it turns out that Chris is getting C's, and she's like well pleased that he's getting C's because in his last school he was getting all D's. So she agrees to get him a um, ticket to Eric Clapton concert. Uh, Chris's mum says, as a reward to the school, I will volunteer at the school. Meanwhile, Al's got a keyboard for Jamal, and he's playing music, and it turns out that um, Jamal's really talented on the, uh, on the keyboard or piano. Uh, Principal uh, Noble and Chris's mum go to the rooftop, and they hear... Uh, Jamal playing and they're like oh my god that's amazing um, but it turns out there's no music department in the school because of budget cuts um, so Chris's mum says I'll hold a fundraiser for you so that you get your music department back. Yeah so basically it turns out um, that they're going to hold this at Chris's house and Jamal comes to Chris's house to practice on the piano. Chris's mum wants him to play classical but Jamal wants to play more modern stuff uh, Jamal got a suit from Chris's mum and at the fundraiser Jamal plays the piano but Chris is in a mood because Chris is getting Jamal's getting attention from Chris's mum and he wants the attention kind of thing. Um, and he plays a guitar over it, gets in the mood and kind of storms out. This is where I really like Principal Noble's character where she goes out and kind of gives him a talk and a heart to heart and explains to him that maybe you should like explain to your mum how you feel and stuff. So Chris talks to his mum. 
Chris and Jamal played together, but more modern stuff. Everyone loves it. Everyone's happy. And that was the end of the episode two. Good stuff. So I went all the way to season three, episode seven, episode called Ebony and Ivory. Do you know Ebony and Ivory? Yeah. I was going to say, I have to, I love, I, was, I took a while to unmute my mic, but yeah, I love this uh, title already. By uh, Stevie Wonder and Paul McCartney. So uh, this is yeah, a really good episode. Really, really good episode. So Manny High is uh, getting an award for academic excellence from the mayor. And Chris and Jamal, they both take a liking to the mayor's daughter. Basically, Chris messes up the chat and she takes a liking to Jamal instead. He asks her out and she says yes. And then obviously her dad is coming along and he's like, hey, what's up, brother? And he's like putting the fist up and he's like, you know, hey, how's it hanging? And then he's like, oh, I know you. Um, My dad campaigned for you. And he's obviously like, uh, yeah, I totally believe in uh, equal stuff. And he's, you know, doing the thumbs up, you know, the, the wink and the gun. Pew, pew. And uh, he's like, yeah, so what is it you guys say? Peace up. And he's like, no, no, it's uh, peace out. And it's all very, very awkward. There's a black tie party kind of thing going on at the school. And obviously, yeah, Jamal, Chris is like to Jamal, yeah, so how did your date go with Kristen? That's her name. And obviously Jamal's like, yeah, yeah, it was great. It was great. Um, and he goes, oh, she had to leave early, though. And she took a cab home. And then obviously Chris was like, Haha, that's because she's got uh, another man. And that's why she doesn't want to be seen with you. And Jamal's like, nah, that's not true. That's not true. And then Chris and Jamal, they go to Kristen's house. And she's like, whoa, what are you doing here, Jamal? Um, this is not a good time. Uh, uh, please come back. And, you know, trying to put him off. And obviously Jamal's like, what the hell is going on? And then her dad comes in and he's like, oh, hey, Jipper, what's happening? And obviously Kristen's like, um, yeah, you know, this is... Um, Chris has basically asked me out to go to the uh, the black tie event. And Chris is like, huh? Did I? And she's like, yeah, yeah, you did, you did, you did. And he goes, oh, that is great. Chris, good stuff, man. Yeah, good, good, good. And yeah, and then he's like, you know, yeah, yeah, come back later and, and, and whatever. And so Kristen meets Jamal in the cafe the next day. And yeah, she's basically explaining that her dad is a racist and she explains that she basically can't tell him that she's going to the black tie event with a, a black guy. And Jamal's like, yeah, you know what? I don't know about this. And Chris is like, yeah, I don't know about this either. And then Jamal's like, look, OK, you might have to do this just so that I can go on a date with uh, Kristen. And so Jamal's like, look. If I get you a date, are you going to shut up? And he goes, Chris was like, yeah, 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 all right, fine, get me a date. And then he basically calls this girl over going, oh, hey, do you want to go out with Chris? And she's like, yeah, Chris is cute. He's, he's great. Let's, 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 let's go to the dance game. And obviously Chris is like, yes, I'm happy. And they go to the house. And um, yeah, the mayor's like, oh, we have to take some pictures. And he's like to Jamal, yeah, yeah get out of the way, Jamal, like, move. Let me get a picture of the date or whatever. And he's like, oh, don't you have a date, Jamal? And he goes, oh, no, we're picking her up uh, on the way. And meanwhile, at the school, 
L train, he's asking and he's basically saying, you know what, I haven't got a date. And Cassie goes, you know what, I haven't got a date either. Why don't we go together? And L train's like, you know what, I've got a hearse that we can go on for the date because obviously it's not going to be in use. And then Cassie's like, you know what, we're not going on a hearse. We're just going to get a cab. And he's like, okay, whatever. And Al and Dawn end up going together. And so, yeah, they're all basically going into the school. Jamal and Kristen are going to the school and then Chris and his date, they're basically making out in the, uh, basically outside. And then the mayor walks in and he's like, what the hell are you doing? And obviously Chris is like, oh, snap. Uh, 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 uh." And obviously he couldn't explain himself. And obviously his date is like, you, what, you're supposed to be going out with another girl? Like, forget you. She walks off. And so the mayor kind of storms into the school and he's like, Kristen, let's go now. I don't want you seeing this guy. And obviously Jamal's like, why not? Um, because, yeah, I, I, I don't want to. I don't have to explain myself. And then the principal comes in. She goes, yeah, you do have to explain yourself. Like, why don't you want him to go out with Jamal? And he's like, oh. Are you, are you accusing me of being racist? And he's, and Jamal's like, I'm not accusing you. You are racist. You see me and you don't want my, uh, you don't want your daughter going out with a, with a black guy. And he's like, oh, oh, wh- 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 what is this? Why is everybody having a go at me? And obviously the principal goes, this is a wake up call. You need to wise up if you think that you can win votes and, and be all two-faced, be, you know, oh, hey, I support equality and whatnot. But on the surface, you're not. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I don't, I'm not a big fan of uh, interracial dating. And then obviously Jamal's like, yeah, why don't you look around? Pretty much everybody here is in an interracial, you know, going out. You know, you've got Tra- L Train and Cassidy, Al and uh, Dawn going out. Yeah. And then the principal goes, yeah, you can't do this anymore. And then obviously he goes, you know what? Fine, I'm going to get out of here. And he's like, Kristen, yeah, we're going to talk about this when we get home. Whatever, stay. And yeah, the the dance continues. And obviously Chris hasn't got a date. So he ends up having to dance with the principal. God, that was such a good episode. Yeah, it sounds like it was like um, really touching the um, the point of things, you know? Yeah, and it's, it's it's the classic how people, instead of trying to fight racism they they're more outraged by the accusation of racism than actually fighting racism because like, oh you 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 saying i'm a racist uh, i'm not racist i'm not a racist how can you call me a racist they'll get more angry at that than actual racism itself and you know it doesn't matter if you're like a higher up in office they'll have these like sort of bigoted views and they'll have these views and but they also have the party line to get them out of like all the bothering you know, I, I do this and i do that but it's not what's in their heart really yeah and it's one of those it was it was it was it was very very well done for what it was and yeah jamal did the did the whole thing very well and kind of explained himself the whole yeah it was it was very very um very good acting all around i thought and then i watched season three episode 17 angels of harlem so, uh, yeah, the principal, principal Noble's church, they're celebrating their uh, 100th anniversary and everybody's um, helping out, particularly L-Train and Chris. They're helping out 
in order to avoid attention. And so there's a, a new girl called Ashley and uh, Cassidy is trying to get the boys to join the drama club. But obviously, uh, Alberto and Jamal are like, yeah, yeah, drama. We're not about that life. We're not about drama. And Ashley from Alabama wants to join. So, yeah, they're all like, you know what? Yes, yes, let's join. Let's join. Let's go. And back at the church, everyone's coming to help. And, yeah, they're seeing that the choir is quite boring and dead. And so, you know, they're singing. Um, what songs do they sing? Yeah, he's got the whole world in his hand, I believe. And so you know what they're like. You know what we we we're gonna we're gonna jazz this up. This is all incredibly boring. And then Chris gets his uh, electric guitar. L trains on the piano, and they're basically doing a whole big. He's got the whole world in his hand, and they take it all the way to church, and it's a, a great little number. And the Reverend is suggesting that maybe Chris and Train should help out more. And Jamal is trying to talk to Ashley, but it's not really working out. I wrote that she's got a fake-ass Alabama accent. That's the fakest Alabama accent you're ever likely to hear. And I, even I sussed it, and I'm Brit. I'm Brit. I, I, and I <laughs> shoot. And uh, Al is trying to do the whole improvising stuff in drama, but it isn't working with the girls. And the principal comes in and she basically says that someone is buying the property. So the church is going to have to close down. And the company that's trying to close down the church is owned by Chris's dad. And so he's like, you know, I'm going to talk to my dad. I'm going to try and talk him out of it, but he ain't listening. And so L Train suggests that they have a radio phone and try and raise enough money to save the church. Meanwhile, back at the drama club, Jamal is doing impressions and he ends up doing an impression of uh, the principal. And it turns out that the girl from Alabama or the, the girl with the fake Alabama accent is the principal's niece. And so she goes, yeah, whatever. I'm not going to talk to you. You're taking the mick out of my auntie. Forget you. So they're doing the radiothon to raise money for the church. And so Chris is like, oh, hey, so the choir they're offering to uh, donate 50 bucks and the choir all sing in harmony. Say what? Which I thought was uh, very <laughs> funny. And so the money raising is going slow. And so the principal and the reverend are basically going, you know what? We've done everything we could. Forget it. We've had a good run. It's over. Chris is like, you know, what? I'm going to donate my whole savings and I'm going to do everything in my power and I'm not going to give up. And Chris and Dawn are like, you know what? Yeah, we shouldn't give up. But everyone and all the teachers are basically going, you know what? We're giving up. It's over. We lost. And Chris and Dawn are appearing on TV. And so the principal is basically going, right, I'm going to go pick up the Chris and Dawn. I'm going to bring them back to school. None of you guys go anywhere. And all the kids are basically all going to the church. And Ashley goes, you know what? I heard you on the radio for the doing the whole telethon with my auntie i appreciate that and so yeah they're all going to the uh, the church and chris's dad comes to the church and he can see that chris and dawn have chained themselves to the church and like you know what we're not gonna let you take down this church we're gonna we're gonna fight for this church and we're never gonna give up and chris is like you know what i'm impressed chris's dad goes you know what i'm uh, impressed 
that you want to fight for something. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to build around the church and I'm not going to tear it down. And the principal is happy and she's proud of Chris because he didn't give up. And yeah, the Rev is giving a sermon and they're all singing and yeah, it, it all it all ends in a nice, lovely fashion. Now, this wasn't the finale, but it may as well have been the finale. So this was a goodbye, Manny High. So, yeah, it's coming up to the end of the year. It's coming up to graduation. Train, he's basically trying to suit for graduation, but it doesn't fit because obviously he's been held back so many years. He's grown out of the suit. And Dawn is basically being tasked with the responsibility of delivery, of getting um, the diploma sent in. And it's been sent from Saskatchewan, Canada, but it's a Canadian one and it's wrong. So Alice, like, you know what? Let me get my cousin Papino to uh, help. And she goes, no, I'm not. Forget about it. How many times have I gone to Papino and he's flopped? And Train is basically cleaning out his locker going, you know what? Finally, I'm going to graduate. I'm going to do this. And the principal wants to talk to him. And she goes, yeah, this is not good news. You're one credit short. So you're not going to graduate this time. And obviously, Jamal and Chris are doing their radio show. Chris does a weird Indian accent, which kind of, kind of is a little dent on the show. So he's doing this Indian accent, and he's calling himself Krishna, and he's got like this fake turban thing on his head. Ah, you're killing me, man. And so Lionel has ended up putting things back into his locker, and all the and all the basically the 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 gang, the friends are all like, "Wait, what are you doing, man?" And he goes, look, I'm a credit short. And he's putting things back into his locker. He's like, you know what? I'm going to stay in the school forever. In history class, they're going to be learning about me and all this stuff. And so they're like, you know what? We're going to help you get your last credit by putting on a, a one-day show for drama. And Dawn is basically desperate. And so Al is like, you know, I got, I got, I got someone that can help you, Papino. And she goes, you know what? Fine. And Jamal and Chris basically can't agree to end the radio show. And so the the play is basically called For Girls Only. So it's just basically talking about how women aren't treated right by men and how they're basically treated as objects. And they're all basically doing their little speech about that. And Train ends up getting his last credit and he can graduate. And there was this... Uh, Really, really nice moment with uh, Train and the principal. And he's basically going, you know what? I want to thank you for believing in me, for never, ever losing faith in me. The reason I'm graduating is basically because of you. You did this and I'm never, ever going to forget this. And I'm never, ever going to forget what you did for me. And I'm never going to forget you. And Chris and Jamal are basically clearing up their... Uh, radio kind of area and Mrs. Noble basically gives both a gift and they didn't realize that they were on the air and they just basically spoke straight out the dome from the heart it was live and they were basically you know what we're going to miss this radio show we're going to miss this school and yeah they just sign off in that style and then the principal walks in and goes yeah you guys were alive that whole time everybody heard what you said and it's kind of a good way to uh, end the show. Al manages to get the diplomas. 
and Dawn is the valedictorian, but obviously the principal, she, she basically wants to get into a speech. So the principal goes, yeah, get out of here. We don't want to hear your speech. She basically leaves <laughs> her along. And yeah, Train is basically talking to the guys going, you know what? You guys have been my friends. You guys have been there for me from the start. And they basically have a group hug. And then it's like you can hear like um, voices in the background with an empty classroom. And yeah, that's how the show ended. And it was such a, a nice, lovely way to end what I thought was a really, really good show. Yeah, it sounded and like a nice episode. A really, really good episode. And yeah, this was a really, really good show. I can't say any more nicer things about this um about this show and this I thought I thought it was really, really good. Yeah, I have to say, um, like I said, it was a bit of a surprise for me that it was actually that good. Um, yeah, I, I think this this show nailed it. To be honest, like it's a little, you know, a little in, you know, um, urban school show. I liked it. Yeah, me too. Last but not least, Method and Red. So this show came out in June two thousand four, and some of the things happening in the world. President George W. Bush presents the Presidential Medal of Freedom to Pope John Paul II, who criticizes him for the Iraq War, while more than 100,000 protest in Rome and other Italian cities. The 15th anniversary of the crackdown of the Tiananmen Square protests of 1989 is marked in Hong Kong by a candlelight visual. Police keep Tiananmen Square and other places in mainland China free of demonstrators. Apple Computer launches its iTunes music store digital music service in the United Kingdom, France and Germany. The price for a single track will be 79 pence or 99 euro cents. The Terminal was in the cinemas. Now this is a cracking great movie. Tom Hanks film. And I Don't Wanna Know by Mario Winans and P. Diddy was number one in the charts. I never heard of Mario Winans. Who, who on earth is that? The singer. I think he's a one-hit wonder, actually. I think he had this one song with uh, Puffy and uh, disappeared from the charts. Method and Red, or sometimes written Meth and Red, is an American sitcom starring hip-hop recording artist Method Man and Red Man. And they're portraying fictionalized versions of themselves who moved to a predominantly white upper-class suburb in New Jersey. Fox ended up canceling the show with four of the 13 episodes remaining unaired after heated meetings with Method Man and Red Man who were not pleased with the show. The duo publicly criticized Fox several times after this. Method Man was disappointed about the series for having a laugh track and Fox doing a bad job on editing. He had wanted it to be in the vein of Arrested Development, of which he is a fan. Speaking about Method Man, so he is Clifford Smith Jr. And he was born in New York in 1972, known as a member of the East Coast hip-hop collective Wu-Tang Clan. And he is also one half of the hip-hop duo Method Man and Red Man. He took his stage name from the 1979 film Method Man. And in 1996, he won a Grammy Award for Best Rap Performance by a Duo or Group for I'll Be There For You, You're All I Need To Get By, featuring Mary J. Blige. Do you know this song? 
Ah, this is a no, great. No, I don't. No, this I'm... is a this is a great great song. But yeah, you know Mary J. Blige, right? Yeah, um, I don't know why I know the name so well. To be honest, why do I know the name so well? What Mary J. Blige? Yeah, because she's a singer. That's why. Okay, yeah, I do. Yeah, I, I was in. I knew the name very well, but I just couldn't figure out why I knew that name. Yes, be more white, Paul, on Black History Month, and uh, <laughs> they're both currently star in Power Book Two, Ghost, and they yeah they're starring together in that show, and uh, he's also appeared in films such as One Eight Seven. That's a great underrated film. That is really underrated film with uh, Samuel Jackson. Belly in 1998, How High in 2001, Garden State in 2004, The Wackness in 2008, Venom 2005, Red Tails, Keanu and the Cobbler. And on TV, they, uh, yeah, he was in uh, The Wire. Some of you might know him as Cheese in The Wire. Really, really prominent role in that. And he was um, probably one of the most visible members of the Wu-Tang Clan. And he was one of only two members to get a solo song on the group's debut album. And he was the first to release a solo album under the clan's unusual contract. Method Man and Red Man, they are a duo. And yeah, they um, basically have known each other for a long time before signing with Def Jam. And while at Def Jam, they reunited in 1994 on tour and met again in 1995 in the recording studio of, of the uh, hip-hop legend Tupac Shakur. Obviously, we can't talk about Method Man without talking about the Wu-Tang Clan. Obviously, as we all know, Wu-Tang Clan ain't nothing to fuck with. Don't worry, I'm going to put the little E sign on there. You can't really say that without saying that. And yeah, they're an American hip-hop collective formed in Staten Island, New York in 1992 and originally composed of RZA, Jizza, the late Old Dirty Bastard. I'm so English, oh my God. It's Old Dirty Bastard. Hear me going, Old Dirty Bastard. Method Man, Raekwon, Ghostface Killer, Inspector Deck, You God and Master Killer. And obviously, yeah, they're an important act in the East Coast hip-hop and hardcore hip-hop styles. Wu-Tang Clan are regarded as a highly influential hip-hop group. Their debut album, Enter the Wu-Tang, 36 Chambers, released in 1993, and it is considered one of the greatest hip-hop albums of all time. If this album ain't in your top 10, then uh, I suggest you go back and do your list again. Wu-Tang Clan had released four gold and platinum studio albums, the group has introduced and launched the careers of a number of affiliated artists collectively known as the Wu-Tang Killer Bees. In 2008, About ranked them the number one greatest hip-hop group of all time. Chris X of Rolling Stone called the Wu-Tang Clan the best rap group ever. In 2004, NME hailed them as one of the most influential groups of the last 10 years. Some of their big, big songs, Cream, which is a... Uh, Basically, it's Cash Rules Everything Around Me, Protect Your Neck, Bring the Ruckus. And obviously, I think Wu-Tang Forever. I think some would consider that maybe better than uh, 36 Chambers. But for me, yeah, Enter Wu-Tang, 36 Chambers, 
Woo! Some of the tracks on there, man. Obviously, yeah, shame on a nigga who tried to run game on a nigga. That is just, that's like my pump-up hype song. Um, yeah, obviously, yeah, they're just great, 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 great. And yeah, Wu-Tang is for the children as well. So uh, important to note that too. The characters in uh, Meth and Red. So obviously you've got Meth and Man and Red Man. There's uh, Dorothy who plays uh, Meth and Man's mom. Nancy, who is the neighbor lady. Hey, neighbor lady. And Skylar is the son who loves hip hop. Dupree, Lil Bit are basically the, uh, the friends of uh, Meth and Red. And Billy, who is the uh, husband, or the, yeah, he's the husband of uh, Nancy. So, Meth and Red. Um, this show is one, it starts off and I was like, what the hell is this? <laughs> um, and then I have to say, like, you know, by the end of the second episode I watched, I was a bit like, okay, this is, you know, this is, oh, this is all right. But I mean, like I said to you before, it got like three quarters of the way through the first episode without mentioning their names and who's who. And, I, you know, I'm not a massive hip hop fan. You don't say. So I was like, I don't know who these people are. And I was I got swear through- they say like the name at the bottom. It said it doesn't. It says Method Man and Red Man. I'm sure it does. No, it doesn't because it said it over one person, didn't say it over the other. And I was like, oh, they're going to tell me who's who, and that's great and stuff like that. But they didn't say it. <laughs> and I went through like it was only when they went into the school in the first episode when they're like, oh, that's Method and Red Man. I was like, oh, they're pe- actual people. And then I was like, I wonder if they're actually <laughs> you know real rappers in real life. Um, and then I was like. Oh, they are. <laughs> so, I, you know, I had absolutely no idea. I think this I, might be the whitest that you've sounded on yesterday's capers. Yeah, I mean, I, I had, I, I was feeling. We're coming up now bit. to eighteen months of doing this, and this is probably yeah the whitest that you have sound. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, like I said, I'm not a hip hop fan, and I, you know, it doesn't matter how hard I try, I just can't. But I think they would have assumed that you know who Meth and Red are. Yeah, exactly. So this was, was a show for the fans, I think. It wasn't yeah. like you know, it wasn't just like some white guy in the middle of London watching it for a, a, a podcast, you know, kind of show. So, um, but like I said, I did get into it at the end, and I did was you know started to find it a bit f- more more funny. Um, but yeah, this was a totally different show to the rest of the shows we watched today uh, this week. I mean, now that I know that they didn't like it, I'm kind of starting to feel a bit different towards it. Because I was watching it and I thought, this is just so wacky, so goofy. But I thought it was fun a little bit. But obviously, yeah, they, they, they hated everything about this show. They hated how it was done. And I can, I can see why they hated it. I, I can see why. Yeah, I mean, I'm quite glad to know that they did hate it because it makes me feel less bad. But I mean, they did obviously nail on some really prominent issues, you know, with like, um, even in the first episode where they're like, um, bringing down the value of the neighborhood when they move in and, you know, the white people running away as soon as they see, like, um, the you know, the, the black family having a big party and stuff like that. So, you know, and, and, and the, the, you know, the Karen trying to get her, um, trying to get them kicked out all the time. That's like the, the two episodes I watched, that's basically what was happening. Um, so it does hit on some really prominent issues, but and it's it's all over the place as well. This show is like... It's like it's like really wacky in the way it's edited and you know really spinny and like I was watching this quite late at night and I was a little bit tired and I was thinking 
okay, <laughs> I can't keep up with what's going on here. So, um, yeah, it's so crazy the way this this show's edited and and displayed. But yeah, like I said, I hated it at first, like, but it did grow on me a little bit towards the end. Yeah, I mean, like, Method Man is actually one of my favorite rappers anyway. Like, he is just an incredible MC. He is just, he's just a beast with it. And yeah, he's he's in my top 10. And this is like, I'm not even saying it because we're doing the show. Like, Meth, Meth is just one of the, one of the all-time greats for me. He's obviously, yeah, probably my, by far my favorite in Wu-Tang. But no, like, Meth, Meth is just incredible. He's and you know what? Like he's got range. He's a decent actor. He was in The Wire before doing all of this. So I really don't understand why Fox would waste the opportunity if you've got someone who is a pretty decent actor who's kind of got some skin in the game. Yeah, I mean, it does like um, with some of the references. Um and stuff in the show. I was just wondering if they got their demographic mixed up. Um, you know, I wonder if they don't know what age group they're really um, catering towards, if you see what I mean. Um, it does seem a little bit goofy, yet adult themes, if you see what I mean, but not even like in a... It's, the adult themes are so few and far between that it's almost like, you know, it's young adults i would have thought yeah exactly like young adults even teenagers and stuff like that it's more geared towards but no yeah it was like i just thought it's really really odd for fox to kind of waste this opportunity and kind of really fumble the ball with uh with someone who's as good an actor as as, as mephima like yeah i thought he was i thought he was excellent as cheese in the wire i thought he was good in 1872 I watch Power Book 2. He's great in that as a uh, lawyer, Davis McLean. So, yeah, it's just um, it's uh, really, really uh, odd that they would uh, waste this uh, opportunity. But, um, yeah, let's talk about episodes. Right. So, obviously, I watched episode one and then episode four. So, um, so basically, starts off, white people are looking around his neighborhood. Um, what's her name? Janice? Is it Janice? Neighbor lady? Oh, it's uh, Nancy. Nancy. So she's kind of, she's like this real, she's like a real estate agent. I'm not sure if she is actually a real estate agent, but she's like showing this family around a house uh, and like they love the neighborhood. And all of a sudden like this, like big party kicks off in, uh, in, in Red and um, Method's house. And the white is like, just like hightail it out of there. Like, that, you know? <laughs> like oh, hey, neighbor lady. That, that did make me laugh. Yeah, they're like, ah, running away. It did remind me of the Goodberg a bit, though, didn't it? Like, the way he was saying it was like, you know, it just reminded me of the Goodberger. Welcome to Goodberger. Um, oh, man, Goodberger, man. They are there. Yeah, it kind of, it, it kind of reminded Obviously, me of that. that's from California and they're, you know, from New Jersey. Yeah, I mean, I didn't know where any of these were set, to, apart from the one in um, uh, Manhattan, because they said, welcome to Manhattan High at the beginning in City, guys. Um, <laughs> um, so apparently they moved there because they were on bubble. I didn't understand what that meant. No, obviously they they, they didn't want to live in the projects, which is basically the American version of council housing. So, yeah, so, that, so so basically, I got the impression that you know they still were the successful hip hop artists, and they were and they moved there because of you know their the money that they'd earned doing that. Yeah, right? yeah, um, yeah. So um, and also because they, them, her mum wanted to 
their mum wanted to live there as well. Uh, but she's like proper strict and she like beats up um, Red Man all the time as well. Red Is it Red Man? Red? Red? Um, yeah, so she beats him up all the time. Um, so with the party, the next day, the, the white family evoke an article where if you constantly uh, flout the, 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 the noise um, rules, then you get, you they, they force you to sell your house and basically get out of that neighborhood. So, um, um, and they try and like, they decide that actually we're going to need to get people to like us. So they try and like run after people. They like bake some cakes and fruit cakes. And like, oh, what do white people like? Oh, they like fruit cake. So they bake some fruit cake and, they, and they're like chasing them down. They're chasing this jogger down the road and was like, oh, um, here's some cake. And they love running after him. And then one guy likes, um, he's like, oh, do you want some cake? He's like, hey, it's my car. Take, take my car. And he like gives him his shopping in his car and then runs into his house. Um, one guy like sniffs it and says, oh, this is drugs in it. Um, and there's one guy that Redman goes to and he's like, oh, this is the first time everyone, anyone's ever given me anything. And he's like really grateful. And he's like, oh, can you also help my dad get out the bath? Because he's stuck. Um, he decides that he's going to take, oh, so he goes to, um, is it Billy's house and Nancy's house? And Skylar, the little boy, needs to go to band practice. And he's like, oh, don't worry, I'll take him to band practice. And um, this is one one bit I did quite like because so they, they go, they're taking him to school. And he starts bad mouthing his mum, and they like sweat straight away. Switch on him, it's like don't bad mouth your mum. She's this, she's that, she's better, she's good. This, um, even though they're having issues with his mum as well, so he's like kind of teaching him like you can't bad mouth your mum no matter what. I quite like that bit. So, and when he gets out of the car, he forgot his instrument strap. So you is is they they go in and take it, and he's kind of being pushed around by these guys. Everyone's like, oh my god, these guys, and he basically says you better like kind of leave him alone. And then so they go back home, and they've kind of like given up on the fact that um they're going to sell it they meet him i think his mum works in a toll booth um and they said why have you given up like you know and then so they, they go around trying to see if the white people are breaking the rules and then red man goes into the meeting they're having next day where they're going to vote him out and um it's really funny because he's like he comes in he tries to stop the meeting he's like i disagree with this i disagree and they're not on their bit yet they're on this like um disabled access to this particular place and he's like no i don't want it i'm, I'm against it <laughs> and then they're like uh, this is it's good to know that you're against the uh the the access for the disabled thing and then and he's like oh sorry um anyway he tries to stall the meeting and um and they basically need a unanimous vote to get them out and everyone votes for them to go except for the guy that the red man helped get his dad out of the bath um so you know no one has to move out and then mum says i'll Everyone come to my house for fried fried meatloaf. I didn't even know that was a thing, but fried meatloaf. Uh, but then Redman ate it, and then she smacks him with a uh, rolled-up magazine or something like that. So that was the end of the first episode. So Method Mum was pregnant with him, and she was eating cherries, cherry and ice cream, and, and, and then she choked on it, spat it out. It went out of the window onto the pavement, and then some guy walking past watered it, and then it grew this cherry tree in the projects, right? And she would like nurture this tree every day and she had it moved to the um, new house. The white lady comes down, you're like, oh, it's actually violates an article. You can't have this tree here. It's going to have to go. Um, and then they decide they're going to go to their lawyer in New York, I think it is. And they're like, oh, should we take the uh, take the Bentley? No, let's take the Ferrari. No, let's take the um, whatever it is. And it takes them ages to decide which vehicle. They end up taking the helicopter. And then when they go to see the lawyer, he says that you, you should have changed the rules when you were president. 
and it turns out that the white lady everyone has to have a chance of being president um it goes on an alternating thing but she did she gave him the the notice but like kind of like put it in a thing and then threw the magazine away so she's playing games basically um so they um they go and they they basically take control of the presidency and um they're like sitting in this thing and it's like a godfather thing where the creeper neighbor wants trees and um they give him permission to have the tree even though the trees shouldn't be next to each other for some reason i can't remember why and this white guy comes in and i was, i found it really interesting because they take the white guy down like a black guy would be taken down when he's like just reaches into his jacket i've got this thing and they're like they like twist his arm and they take him down. He's like, oh, he's, he's got a gun. He's got a gun. But it turns out he's only there to give him membership to the golf club. Um, and then they start when they get membership to the golf club. They start having parties in the bunkers, and have like a volleyball and and barbecues in the bunkers and stuff like that. So and then they start enjoying all the perks of being a president. And it, all the while they forgot about their mum's tree. And in the meantime, it got cut down. But they tried to fix it. They tried to like tape it up. It doesn't work. And then they steal the tree from the golf course and put it in the um, in the garden um and then her mum twigs straight away because this tree has fruit and her tree never bore uh, bore fruit is that a word um so it didn't have uh, fruit on it basically and she knows it's not her tree and she's mad so they end up buying a car to forget that she's mad and she likes it and then the white lady impeaches the uh, uh method and red man because they stole the tree from the golf course and they lose the presidency. I watched, uh, I think it was episode five and it's called Dogs. And so Meth and Red, they're trying to build a sports stadium called the Methadone at the Redolands. And so they need investors, but they're in competition with uh, basketball player Yao Ming. And because they'd messed up Yao Ming when he was playing basketball and he slipped on I think Redman's ice cream because they're like showing a clip of like how they're like oh hold my ice and he goes no I don't want to hold the ice cream and so he drops on the floor and then Yao Ming slips on it and Nancy is complaining about her son Skylar because he ends up slapping her butt which I thought was odd why would a son do that and Meth has to go talk to him because he's a role model and so while he's there, Billy suggests that he meets an investor called Carrie. Because I like how Billy and Skylar like Method and Red, but not so much, uh, I was going to call her Karen, but um, Nancy, <laughs> neighbor lady. And uh, Red takes a liking to Carrie. And I think it's played by, uh, might be Carmen Electra. I'm not, I can't remember if it is. Yeah, it might be Carmen Electra. And yeah, so and then obviously Meth has to go to uh, Nancy, and he leaves Carrie with Red, and he basically goes, "Look, don't catch feelings. She's important for the investment, and she has a dog, and basically she has a dog called Tina, and so Red ends up getting a dog called Ike. So uh, Ike and Tina." Please tell me you get that reference. Tina Turner and Ike. Popular culture, man. <laughs> it's, not, it's not my forte. You should know it. That's why it's called popular culture. God, you are killing me for Black History Month. And it's the first and it's the first episode. 
man. And so, yeah, there's a fly and it and it's right on Nancy's butt. And obviously, meth is like, ah, OK, I have to get rid of it. And then obviously, Nancy's like, you know, you're not a role model. And she basically tells meth's mum about what happened. Because he's like, oh, Skylar is out of control with it. And he smacks the principal in the butt. And so Meth has to go see the principal at school. And there's a tarantula. There's basically a missing tarantula. And again, it's coincidentally on the principal's butt. And so Meth is like slapping the tarantula away from it. And then everyone's looking in the principal's window. And it basically starts an epidemic of smacking butts called methodizing. And Ike, the dog that Redman has, is basically cheating on uh, Tina's dog with another dog. And Carrie sees the interview about methodizing. So she goes, you know what? I'm going to decline and I'm not going to give you the money for the investment. And so Red is like, oh, so it's Meth's fault, is it? And she's like, yeah, it's definitely his fault. And he goes, ha, ha, ha. It's not my fault. It's your fault. And they're thinking, oh, you know what? How can we get the money now? Because they're like, oh, Oprah hates rappers. Bill Cosby hates black people. So we're going to really struggle to uh, get this money. And so they go on television to explain themselves. And Meth is pretending to cry. And Carrie is impressed. So she goes, you know what? I'm going to agree to it. But then we find out it was a trick all along. Because Carrie is working with Yao Ming. And basically, Skylar tries to uh, do the whole slapping butt thing with Meth's mum. And she basically grabs him. And she takes him back to Nancy. And he goes, you know what? He's fixed. Trust me. He will be <laughs> not dead. And that's how the episode ends. And then the last episode I watched was Neighborhood Watch. And so it starts off with Red. He's playing Madden on Xbox and he's on a winning streak. And basically their friends bring the circus to uh, Meth and Red's house and they want the circus gone. They're like, what the hell? Like, get this circus out of our house. Who are these idiots? And so they walk in to uh, Nancy and Billy, like basically rummaging their house. And they're like, what the hell are you doing here? And basically, they're accusing Meth and Red of robbing their house. And she goes, and they're like, what the hell do you think you're doing? Do you think we robbed your house? And he goes, no. Uh, we're just uh, checking for something. They're like, what? You're checking for what? And then they realize that their uh, plasma TV has been stolen. And Red is having like problems with his vision. And he has to go get glasses, even though he doesn't want to. And so they have like a big meeting in the neighborhood because obviously they're like, um, oh, Nancy goes, oh, I have this really expensive earring. Do you know what happened to it? And Meth is like, get out of my house. Don't be accusing me of that. And so they, and then obviously that's when they realize that their stuff goes missing and then they end up going to the neighborhood meeting. And so the, the, the guy who's meant to be like the police officer, the security guard, he goes, you know what's best? is that everybody works together and, you know, you have to be partners. And Meth has to be partners with Nancy. And so, they, you know, they end up forming a really, really good team. 
And Red thinks that Skylar is the thief, but Nancy's like, you know what? He's not the thief. And then Meth's mum's picture is stolen. And she basically said, you know what, to Nancy and Meth, she goes, you have to work together again and you have to find it. And so Meth saying, you know what, we have to try and get the circus to come back and so we can try and trap the thief. And they're on a stakeout and they end up finding the thief. And it was basically one of the people who was part of the circus. And there's this little sort of sequence or a little like skits where like Nancy's like, having feelings for Method Man. And obviously he wears like a shower cap on his head and she makes her husband wear a shower cap. And yeah, that was a, an interesting kind of thing about that. But yeah, that was that show. And we have to pick between City Guys and Method and Red. Well, I'm really glad that you said that they didn't like it because it makes me feel a little bit better for um picking city guys for number one for me um it wasn't it wasn't a hard pick to be honest um but like i said method man and red man did grow on me a little bit um towards the latter end of the last episode but um yeah the other one method was just too crazy for me it was just like all over the show um but I, yeah i just like the very familiar format of uh, city guys and i like the shenanigans and the sentiments behind it as well yeah i mean initially i was going to pick Meth and Red, because obviously I'm never going to go against Meth. Like I said, he's one of the the the, the goat MCs for me. Yeah. And uh, but yeah, I'm because they didn't really like it so much. It kind of feels apt to not to kind of pick them. So I'm going to also go with City Guys. This was a really really good show. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I had so much fun with this show. Um, yeah, the, everything about this show was 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 good, and it's everything about why I like doing yesterday's capers because you just discover like really gems of, 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 of TV shows. And yeah, this was a definitely, definitely a gem and uh, yeah, really, really good shows. All three. I, I had fun watching all three shows. Yeah, completely agree. Really good week. Really good week. Good start to uh, black history month. Oh, and um, also Lewis Hamilton, seven time Formula One world champion, most successful Formula One driver ever. So I think it's appropriate to give him some flowers on uh, Black History Month. Absolutely. Yeah, and I also wanted to uh, talk about Cicely Tyson, who is a very, very, very famous uh, black uh, actress who uh, sadly passed away at the the age of 96. She was a pioneering, um, pioneering actress. She always wanted to play... uh, strong black like women roles she didn't want to like do things just for the th- just for the sake of doing it and uh yeah she she was 96 so obviously yeah lived lived a long life and uh yeah obviously she um, won two emmys for her performance in uh, the autobiography of miss jane pitman i think she was also in the roots she was also in the help and yeah, she's been in like so many films. And yeah, like I said, she always turned down stereotypical roles for black women. And she wanted to play characters that were strong, positive and realistic. And yeah, she's she's someone who definitely deserves her uh, her flowers and, and, and then some. She's a, an incredibly 
exceptional good actress. I think she made her first role in Sounder in 1972. And I think she was also in the um, biopic for Martin Luther King as well. So there's that too. And yeah, like you might not see her. You might go to her IMDb and think, you know what, man, there isn't a lot that she's done. Because that's obviously if she's going to turn down loads and loads of roles because it's not the right fit, then um, she's not going to do it. And, uh, you know, you, you have to commend her for that. And, uh, yeah, I just wanted to say that. And, yeah, thoughts go out to uh, her family. Yeah, Cicely Tyson, she's a, an icon. And uh, she's just, an, yeah, a, a trailblazer in every sense of, of the word. So I just wanted to say that. And, uh, yeah, on that note, we'll uh, bring the first episode of uh, the Black History Month to an end. Yesterday's Capers is available wherever you get your podcast from. So uh, give us a like, give us a, a listen, give us a share. We're available on even more streaming platform sites. So uh, if you look around, I'm sure it's going to be available on your uh, chosen platform. We're on the socials. Uh, Instagram, it's Yesterday's Capers 1. On Twitter, it's Yesterday Capers. We're on um, Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Yesterday's Capers. You can follow me on the socials. On Instagram, it's Abdullah underscore Molim. On Twitter, it's Abdullah Molim, all one word. Give me a like, give me a holler, give me a shout. And uh, join us next time for another episode of Yesterday's Capers. Yeah.